You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 209 of the Comic Book Informer podcast coming to you on March 31st. And I have nothing clever to start this episode with. You never have anything clever. You what are you talking about? You think it's clever. You think you're clever. Not so much. My mom thinks I'm clever. <laughs> Your mom thinks you're handsome, too. We all know that ain't true. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I have been mandated that we are on a timeline for this episode, we're just going to dive right in with finally the third and final part of our Daredevil retrospective, if you will, preparing for the Netflix series, which launches next weekend. I'm really excited to dive into that and see what it's like. This time around, we're talking about Devil in Cell Block D. Storyline was released in 2006, uh, cross issues 82 through 87, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Michael Lark and Frank Darmada. This was Brubaker's first storyline on the comic, picking up right where Bendis left off, as I mentioned uh, last time we talked about Daredevil, where he had turned himself into the FBI. And this is a storyline that takes place entirely within Riker's prison, and I loved it. Okay, just so I know what's going on now, this... He turned himself in, but he turned himself in because of the stuff he was doing as Kingpin, not admitting he was Daredevil, obviously. Pretty much, yes. Okay, yeah. I agree. This was phenomenal. But maybe it's because you've made me read this many Daredevils now, <laughs> this close together, that it's the the idea of constantly... We know you're Daredevil. Oh, no, I'm not. It's starting to get a little old kind of thing now. <laughs> so I didn't enjoy it probably as much as if I'd been reading this and it just kind of came up as a different story later on. Um, but, I mean, no, it was fantastic. It was great writing. It was really a lot of fun to read. But, again, there's there's also a lot more things going on where it's like, you know, I was willing to suspend disbelief for quite a while there, but you, you're stretching it. Yeah, so when our story starts off, Matt Murdock is in prison. He's in uh, a protected custody at this point because he's a blind man. You can't put a blind man into general population. That would be cruel, the things that would happen to him. Mm. Well, the large part of the early parts of the story are the federal, uh, the FBI is up to something. For whatever reason, they want both Kingpin and Matt Murdock in the same cell block at the same time. And to cause a riot to basically take them both out. They see this as their best way to get rid of their headaches. <laughs> they, they know due process is not going to do it for them. So they've set up this entire uh, ulterior way of going about it. And it's actually pretty interesting when all of the prison political dynamics come, are coming together where the way it played out with the small little reveals and the stakes constantly being raised from issue to issue it really did feel like all hell was breaking loose by the time the riot started. Yeah, the only thing that I will say that I wasn't crazy about with that is that it fell on the, the stereotype that like damn near every prison guard is mm -hmm. dirty somehow. And so, I mean, I'm not a fool. I know there, there's dirty wardens and things like that, but... <laughs> not to this degree. And I know that they have to make it 
slanted somewhat to make it interesting because it is entertainment, not reality. But it's like, can you recall a single nice, you know, warden or, or guard that wasn't in some way on the take or something in this story? Because I, I can't. Uh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I you agree. see what I mean, yeah. So, yeah, on the inside, uh, yeah, Matt eventually gets put into general population. And at the same time, we have the concurrent story of everything that's going on outside of prison, not just limited to the fact that Daredevil is still running around Hill's Kitchen fighting crime. And they leave that hanging out there for the entire uh, first several issues of this. And then we also have the great work with, again, Ben Urich, Foggy Nelson, and their own investigations that are running outside. And something I've realized from reading through these storylines, because essentially the three storylines we've read, read haven't in any way really been Daredevil stories. They've been Matt Murdock stories. And they've also focused incredibly well on the supporting cast with Foggy and Ben and, and everybody else. That's the comic I want to read. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want a monthly Ben Urich comic. I would read the hell out of that. You know what? Yeah. It, I, I think that it, given the, the right writer working on the project, just because of everything he's involved in and because of working for the paper, what he can be involved with, which is pretty much limitless, you could really have some great stories. I think they tried something kind of similar to that a few years back and it didn't quite take, but the, the market is in a much different place now. I think yeah. it might be time to reevaluate that. Yeah, I agree. And once uh, everything's going along, there's actually an ambush at the gel and poor Foggy Nelson is killed. And this causes Matt to just snap. This is this is like Rorschach and Watchmen. He is just brutalizing everybody that crosses his path. And we see he's starting to head into a very dark place, which, I mean, even after the storyline, he continues because by the time Brubaker's done, that's when uh, Shadowland was starting up. So Matt continued down this dark path for a long, long time. But that's his character. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things, too, where a lot of other characters wouldn't necessarily be able to pull it off because it would come off as being moody or, or something like that. At least when I read this, it's not drama or being moody. It's just there's so much bad crap that's happened to him or continues to happen that when the stress really hits him, it's believable and you expect it from him now as well. Mm-hmm. To to the point where they bring in Bullseye, Hannibal Lecter style, and in a great scene, Punisher gets himself arrested because he realizes he needs to be on the inside to help Matt. And I actually really liked that scene. Like, it's almost obvious that, yeah, that's going to be Frank Castle because, well, that's just how he looks. Who else would this guy be? But the part where he raises his hands and his jacket opens and the skull, it, that, that was just a really well played out page. I liked it. It was, and it was cool, his stuff on the inside as well, but it quite literally was just something thrown in for a cool effect because it didn't really serve the story. I mean, sure, it's Punisher is telling him to essentially don't become who I am, but why would Punisher do that? Seriously, there I can see a lot of other characters getting them arrested, themselves arrested just because they care that much about Matt to try to help out and, and, and things like that. Frank? No. 
don't buy it one bit. That doesn't change the fact that it was still awesome. It it, it kind of was. I'm not, again, I'm not <laughs> lying. It, it, the the scenes were they were cool. They weren't awesome, but they, they were like okay, that's cool. But it was one of those where you're like, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, with, but with all the darkness, we also see that there's still some light in Matt's life when his wife uh, Mila visits, and they have that great conversation about you know, is this the man you want to be? Is this the man that Foggy died for? And so, like we said, so many Daredevil stories revolve around that cycle of the descent into darkness and the eventual uh, revelation. And, you know, and it, like we said, it ties into the whole religious and spiritual yeah. aspect of the character. And once again, this storyline follows suit. Yep. So finally, we get the big brawl at the end. The riot breaks out. I loved the bits with him and Kingpin you know, having to work together and then Matt finally finding his way. It, it was, like I said, it built to a good climax and we got a great payoff for it. Yeah, yeah. A- again, it was a, a very good story, although it really stretched just how far you're willing to suspend disbelief just because of everything that's happening, all the fights he's getting into it. Nobody sees this and, you know, not just guesses that he really is daredevil but pretty much it's a cemented deal at this point so there was too many of those kind of granted i will say this again like i said earlier there it's it i might just be a little hypersensitive to it just because this is our third story arc in less Mm -hmm. than a month so maybe that's why as well my biggest disappointment in this storyline though is that once matt gets out of prison and we finally get the daredevil versus daredevil confrontation that the reveal wasn't the end of the issue. Like it just happened on like page eight and then they went on with the story. Like that would have been a great cliffhanger to end the story on. Yeah, but there was still more that had to be done. So I'm just saying like when you, when you look back at like all these, you know, great climactic moments, it, it just felt like the type of image with daredevil's hand glowing with the, strength of iron that was a great way to end an issue and it was just like oh okay it's danny moving on yeah yeah well i thought it was cool but oh when you yeah look at what the cool. actual ending is for that that issue it kind of trumps it uh, well you know how much of an iron fist fanboy i am so yeah, it's well, still <laughs> you kind of have to take that into account and all throughout michael lark's artwork is perfect for the tone of what yep. they're doing here. Yep. It's him and Brubaker teaming up again after Gotham Central saying, okay, that worked well. Let's kind of do the same thing over at Marvel with uh, all their fun characters. And it's a great fit. It gives you that, that same like noir type style that, yep. uh, oh God, who the hell did, was Bendis's artist? I've already, Malieve. A, a similar aesthetic, but a very different style. And it just, it feels like a Daredevil comic should feel. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my thing with uh, the Mark Waite Daredevil, that in addition to the fact that the stories aren't really that interesting to me, as much as I like Chris Samney and Marcos Martin and Paolo Rivera and all those guys, it doesn't feel Daredevil to me. Like, the art is fine, but it's not what I want out of a Daredevil comic. Okay. When I look back at what I want out of a Daredevil comic, it's Frank Miller, it's Alex Maleev, it's Michael Lark. Like, that's what I want my Daredevil comic to look like. Hmm. I'm a little bit more open to different stuff, but but it's, that's not to say that this isn't good. Obviously, this is yeah. spectacular. So that's our Daredevil. We're kind of 
getting through it pretty quick because I have a feeling what we're reading is going to be pretty hefty this week. Am I correct about that, Roger? Oh, me, me. No, I've been good. I, uh, how many did I talk about? Three last week? Maybe four. Well, I'm, I'm just saying based on how much came out last week. <laughs> I, I had to, to kind of force myself to cut it down to four because there's so much to talk about. All right. Well, go ahead. All right, then. Uh, first of all, New Avengers continuing the build up to Secret Wars. This issue was just great for me on any number of levels because it's focusing on Thor and Hyperion and the the strike team that the Avengers have sent literally to the end of the universe. And i sorry, I can't help it. My Thor fanboy moments, this issue was just awesome beginning to end. Okay, but was it Thor or was it Odin's son? It was Thor, Odin's son. Ah, well, that's not Thor. I, I cannot explain more without completely ruining a lot of stuff that you've missed. I've got to read. i got to get caught up on those. And the, the ending was actually really clever, and I enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, we also had all-new Ghost Rider finished up its run. <sighs> I, I can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that everybody's okay. <laughs> but I, I, I cannot praise this comic enough for how emotionally invested I got with these characters over the course of only 12 issues. And I, I really hope after Secret Wars is over, there's a place for Robbie and whatever's left of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I, On one hand, I think they kind of overplayed some of the aspects of it, like the the spirit that was possessing him. It wasn't, you know, one of the traditional Ghost Rider spirits. It was, as repeated several times throughout the comic, a satanic serial killer. And they keep kind of hammering into that. And it was like... it it was a little on the nose and like in your face. But then as it went on, I kind of realized they were going for like that seventies sort of like grindhouse movie feel where that type of thing would be front and center and repeated over and over again. So it, it on one hand it felt overdone, but on the other hand it felt like it was supposed to be overdone. So it worked overall. Right. Have you seen the previews for the uh, secret wars ghost rider series? No. Oh my God. It's called ghost racers. <laughs> It is <laughs> Death Race 2000 <laughs> with Ghost Riders. Oh, my God. It's In got Robbie. Head, it's I've, got Johnny, yeah. Danny, Alejandra. There's a freaking centaur Ghost Rider. <laughs> this is going to be the greatest comic book ever made. <laughs> In my head, I got an image of like Mario Kart style, all of them together beside each other, ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's how seriously i take it but yeah i had nothing but praise for what they did uh with their issues there did you read the new skull kickers no i haven't actually oh <laughs> you need a towel <laughs> they are holding nothing back <laughs> halfway through the issue the narrator kind of stops the action and goes so at this point, you're probably wondering, is our final storyline just going to be one giant bar fight? And you would be right. <laughs> but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> because you've got, you know, three pairs of Rex and Rolf at this point, plus Kusia in the interdimensional tavern that's now run by Thule. And it's it's as ludicrous and as epic as 
we've come to expect from the comic, and it's going to be a hell of a ride through these last few issues. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. Uh, Uncanny X-Men. Did Are you still behind on that? No, I'm caught up, actually. That was one of the ones I was going to talk about as well, too. Okay. So we now have the aftermath of the last will and testament of Charles Xavier, how uh, Ava kind of laid <laughs> the law down on Scott, and he's sending the students off to the Jean Grey school. The stuff with him and Havoc, uh, yeah, whatever. But I have to say, I loved the scenes with Scott and Emma. Yes. Uh, all the stuff that Bendis has done with Emma in this comic has been some of my favorite writing. Well, I don't even say some of, has been my favorite writing of that character ever. Yeah. He has absolutely nailed that character and made her stronger, made her more interesting. And this issue was definitely no disappointment in that regard. The The conversation they had was brilliant. The thing is, is that she's such a strong character and not just in terms of like her, her, her character, but her personality is strong. She doesn't back down all of these really, um, these powerful attributes. And we've seen that throughout. We've seen a little bit of vulnerability here and there, but more often than not, you kind of aren't even sure about that. You, you doubt that maybe it's a show where you're not quite sure if it's real. And then you see this and this is a powerful moment between two people who were very much in love and she is still incredibly strong and of will and everything else, but you see those glimpses of vulnerability of, as well, like that tear when she's in diamond form. And like, that's tricky to write in any pulls it off beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, the last one I'll bring up is Darth Vader. Number three. That was awesome. I love that. They've now essentially turned the Darth Vader comic into a buddy adventure. <laughs> With this this new character, this uh, female scientist who has like you can tell at the beginning of the story, they're kind of giving her the Han Solo treatment, even like the whole Indiana Jones bits. And it's fun. And she's an interesting character and the stuff they're doing. I hope maybe an HK droid pops up at one point or another. <laughs> but it, it's cool that they're giving Vader somebody who's completely counter to his personality and uh, I'm really looking forward to how those two characters are going to interact going forward. Well, you don't need an HK when you've got this freaking triple O <laughs> yes, that essentially is, <laughs> is an HK. And it was funny because you're hearing him talk about just destroying people. And I hear it in C-3PO's voice, <laughs> which is freaking awesome. This, uh, yeah, this new character, I really like her a lot too. I like it because... She's obviously got this moral slant that's pretty loosey-goosey kind of thing. It's, she's all right with any of these evil plots, but it's not that over-the-top comical evil mm -hmm. that is Vader, you know, and everybody else. She's just really could give a rat's ass and... Like most people up against her beside Vader, she does make the joke about being intimidated and all that, but she plays it cool and, it, and she's all right with this. And so this is 
the like you're saying the buddy adventure that the Star Wars comic should have been, but it's not pulling that off. I feel with Luke and Han and all that. Whereas this is pulling that off in style with evil freaking droids as well. <laughs> not just one, two of them. So this is, I'm really, really enjoying this one a lot. Yeah. Like this is the last direction I would have expected a Darth Vader comic to go in. And I'm glad it I'm did. No kidding. Yeah. Did you read the, the Keenan or Kanan one or did it come out yet? It comes out this, this week. week. Okay. All right. Because I was reading up a little bit on it and I saw that one, but I didn't see what the release date. And that's the dude from Star Wars Rebels. So mm-hmm. that's like, awesome. All right. Uh, what have you got for us this week? Well, we might as well get the, the magic mirror out of the way. <laughs> because, I mean, it's everywhere. And we need to talk about it, apparently. And it's horrible. It's horrible. The story continues to be... It's getting worse. Horrible. Again, this idea of a freaking magic mirror is one of the dumbest they've done in years. Like, I, we were chatting about it during the podcast yesterday there, and I was saying, you know, a, a fiery phoenix from space is more believable than this magic mirror that turns you into something else it's like disney gone bad or trying to be bad it's just the premise is so stupid so then as it becomes this back and forth of who's got the mirror oh they've got no we've got it okay just run with the mirror don't let the bad guys get it oh crap the bad guys got it now look they're supersized as well it's just utter stupidity beginning to end and then some of the issues as well the writing is bad. And I mean, not because they've got a bad premise that they got to work with, but because the characters aren't coming off as those characters should. And so you've got these ridiculous scenes that are just, again, it was bad to begin with, but now the characters aren't even acting as how you'd imagine them to act. At least that's how I read it. I read the last, the, the three, the Guardians, the Nova, mm-hmm. and the uh, Star-Lord one. And it was just, I did not enjoy a single one of them. And there's just way too much going on. Like, it's, the story is just impossible to keep track of. I forget who's where and what each individual person is supposed to be doing. Uh, I, I have no idea how they're going to wrap this up in four issues. And I've had it with this beast being, oh, God, I've gone and destroyed time because of bringing them in a camp. Oh, enough, God. We've been having to deal with this since you brought them over. Suck it up. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) enough is enough. Because they just make him like, it was a cool drawing, that big panel with him, with all the writing around him, trying to figure shit out. Oh, God damn it. But, uh, (laughs) but it was just, again, it's like enough is enough. And the whole Amber thing for the planet, cool looking effect, but why exactly can't Kitty slowly take the people out? It's too dense. What? A, you got out and B, she's gone through a magic bullet through space, phasing through worlds. You're telling me she can't get through a little bit of Amber? Kind of hard to believe. Well, <laughs> you're, oh, sta- you're going to defend this. This is I, good. Let I, me get I, comfortable. I will just say, 
<laughs> they've established in the fa- in the past that there are things that Kitty has trouble. Like it, she, like adamantium, she can phase adamantium, but there's an incredible strain. She can only do it for a brief period of time. And I think they're kind of chalking up the amber to be uh, a similarly dense that she can do it, but it's it's limited because she got a couple people out. She got Jean and somebody else out. I forget. No, she didn't. Yeah. Didn't, no, no, Jean no, wasn't in there. No, they weren't there. She got herself out and then okay. said, I yeah. don't think I can get anybody else out. I'm just saying that they've well, But not before making that, out with Peter. Oh, just, well, just yeah, shut up and kiss have that me already. There. And I'm like, oh, are you serious? There's a planet. They, they just said that Jean is hearing everybody screaming in pain. Just kiss me, Peter. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> This is why people don't take comic books seriously. <laughs> Pretty much. So, yes. Not defending it. I'm just saying there's a premise. Eh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Wolverines. <laughs> Doesn't get better. <laughs> Equally terrible. I thought you were saying it got better. I said that there was a little bit of better in one of the issues that I read. This. We've returned to status quo. We've kind of dipped a little bit below. Now, now we've got freaking guns that can shoot across parallel universes to get to this dude's brain or whatever that hovers outside of his body in another dimension. And it's like, oh, my God, seriously, this was that may be one of the most comic book sentences I've ever heard. Really? Yeah, this was. Yeah. Beginning to end. Crap on a stick. I was not impressed. Um, I was impressed with Gotham by Midnight. Oh, I haven't read the latest one. Okay. You'll like it. It's, I'm sure I will. It's, it's, it's not really like a, an ending per se to that little story arc. It kind of is, but you can see how they're going to keep going with different aspects from within. But mm-hmm. it's 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 the conclusion of the little story arc. Right. And, but they're still going to keep going with, because there's a lot of open questions still about what exactly is going on, especially for one of the characters. I don't want to spoil anything, but, uh, but awesome. And like Batman shows up at one point. <laughs> You're going to have to help me out with this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was really quite good. I enjoyed it. Um, last, uh, do I want to cover that one? Yeah. I finished reading all the Batman Superman. Mm-hmm. Didn't get better. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, they, they're. Did you? Are you keeping up with the Amazing X Men? Indeed. The juggernaut story. Mm-hmm. So they got the conclusion to that. Uh, the a, story started off good, but it kind of. I wasn't I, impressed with the story as a whole, at all. From beginning to end, really didn't do it to me. And this here, massive juggernaut walking around let's just ignore it like a kid who's having a tantrum somebody make a fire let's shoot the gab for a while i'm like seriously i <laughs> like, i, I kind of like the premise of the x-men who have done so much and seen so many things they just know when there's something that they can't fight and go you know what <laughs> I didn't buy it. Not only did I, I, I didn't, I'm not going to say I agreed with it, but I did find it the premise humorous. Uh, see, that's where we're going to differ because it was they're trying to be clever. And as I'm reading them, thinking, 
you're not as clever as you think you are because it wasn't. It was, again, completely unbelievable to the point where it was took me out of the story and again it wasn't clever so i'm like this is stupid this is utter stupidity the 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 story as a whole wasn't good but now this this is yeah so i i wasn't digging it i guess we'll leave it at that all right then well, this week's new releases aren't quite as ridiculous as last week, but uh, Marvel is still releasing everything on the planet. Uh, we have Amazing Spider-Man number 17, Avengers number 43. We have two separate Avengers miniseries launching because, of course, the movie's out soon. We have to put everything with Avengers in the title on the shelves. We have Avengers Millennium number one and Avengers Ultron Forever number one. Honestly, both of them do look kind of interesting. <laughs> we have uh, Your Magic Mirror and Cyclops number 12. Uh, my Magic Mirror. Don't you don't you do that? <laughs> we have a one-shot Guardians of the Galaxy best story ever. No idea what to expect from that one. We also have Guardians team up number four, Iron Fist, the Living Weapon number eleven. Uh, as we previously mentioned, Kanan, the Last Padawan number one, which is the uh, like the crossover from uh, Clone Wars into Star Wars Rebels. For those of you who are enjoying that, we have Rocket Raccoon number ten and Spider Gwen number three. From DC, we've got the final issue of Batman Eternal, number 52, and the, quote, first issue of the next big thing, Convergence, number zero. Oh, and we're also getting the, uh, I'm sorry, the endgame tie-in from, Avent- or from Gotham Academy. And from Image, we've got The Dying and the Dead, number two, Nailbiter, number 11, Southern Bastards, number eight, and Tech Jacket, number nine. And all the only other thing I found that was terribly interesting this week is from Boom Studios. We've got a new series launching from James Tinian IV called Ufology, number one. Uh, it's looking like a fun little X-Files type series coming from those guys. Cool. And that's going to wrap us up here at Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us online at thecomicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And until next week, thanks for listening. The actual Earl is comicbookinformer.com, not I Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from. It's time to talk like an old man. <laughs> Have you been the, to the Google yet? This time I followed yet? your advice and I didn't go back and draw attention to it. <laughs> Yeah, but this one is actually important. <laughs> Everybody's all of a sudden going, I'm trying to find the, the comic book and form podcast, but I can't. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.